Paul has been telling these Christians uh, who have been assaulted from, from outside the church, people have been telling them, if you really want to grow, if you really want to become spiritual, if you really want to have wisdom, here's how you need to live. Here are the, the religious practices you have to go through. Here are the beings you have to worship, the experiences you have to have. It's a long list of stuff. And what Paul has said throughout the letter is, that's nice, but if it doesn't have Jesus, then it doesn't matter. If Jesus is not the sum total and center of everything that you worship, you will not grow in grace. You will not gain true wisdom. You will not gain true knowledge. You will think that you have mastered your flesh. You will think that you have mastered your sin when, in fact, you've only caged the animal and it will break out. And so then Paul, in chapter 3, which is where we'll be today, Paul begins to talk about what the Christian life really looks like, what it, what it really looks like for the, for the person who has Christ at the center of their life uh, and we already read or had read for us verses 1 through 4, but I'm going to read that again. And I want to point out to you kind of where, where Paul's going. 1 through 4, he lays out the foundation. That's what I preached on last time. 5 through 11, he talks about the kinds of behaviors that the Christian is not to do. Okay? The fight. The sins we are to fight against. 12 through 17, he talks about the behaviors we are to do, what kind of people we are to be, the, the, the attitudes we are to embrace. And then 18 uh, through chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, he talks about the Christian home. You can see that in there. And then he gives some other instructions after that for, for interacting with folks outside of the church. So... That's kind of the trajectory that Paul's on as he lays out all of these different spheres of the Christian life. But it all begins with 1 through 4, which I'll read now, and then we'll look um, at 5 through 11. So, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, the old man with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me pray real quick. God in heaven, as we open your word and as we long to hear what you have to say to us, Father, I echo Jake's prayer that you would move by your spirit, that we would be changed at the heart level. Father, for those who are hearing the gospel maybe for the first time, Draw by your grace. Save by your grace. Uh, for those, Lord, who believe, who have trusted in Christ, may they, may they see in themselves your work being done. God, and may they 
long to cooperate with that work. Father, I pray that your word would be clear, that the preaching would be clear, and that we would that we would leave here trusting you, loving you, adoring you more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you have ever said this to your children, or maybe children, if you're a parent, not children, but any of you, if your parents have ever said this to you, remember whose you are, right? Or something like that when, you're, when your parents might have dropped you off at the mall or when they let you go away for a weekend or spend the night with a friend. They would always say, remember whose you are, remember who you belong to, right? And what they meant by that was, don't shame me in front of your friends, right? Don't, uh, I think Neil tells us, tells a story. Uh, didn't your parents used to say that to you all the time, Neil? Did you, uh, and you stuck to that pretty closely, right? You never, you never embarrass your parents in public. Um, I remember when I, when I served the youth in Meridian, Mississippi, whenever we would go somewhere, I really liked that phrase, and so I kind of adopted it and took it. And before I would open the bus, uh, before I would let them out to go wherever we were going, I would say, remember whose you are. And that has, you know, three, there are three different levels to that. One, First Presbyterian Church is written on the side of this bus. Remember that, and if, they, if you get in trouble, tell them you're from First Methodist. <laughs> I never said that. And I only kind of believed it. Um, Second, though, it was also there was the there was the parental level, right? You belong to your parents. Let's not let's not get arrested, okay? They don't want to have to come bail you out. Uh, remember who you belong to. But even deeper than that, there was this acknowledgement that if they belong to Jesus, if they were if they were the adopted son or the adopted daughter of the King of Kings, then there was a way they were to behave in a way they were not to behave. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He he has set up in verses 1 through 4 this idea of the new life. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And then he begins to tell us what it means to seek the things that are above and not the things that are on the earth. And he begins with the not. And so I would begin by saying that, in a sense, these are family rules. And that if you stand outside of the kingdom, if you do not belong to Christ, then what I'm about to say will in some ways not help you at all. Now, it may make you a nicer person. Uh, You may be a better friend. might help you get a job. might help you get a promotion. But doing the things in this list or not doing the things on these lists as Paul reads them off won't secure heaven for you. They won't secure friendship, relationship with God for you. You cannot earn that. That has to be given by God's grace. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, your life is hidden with Christ and God. If your life is not hidden with Christ and God, then these things, in a sense, won't apply. Or at least, they won't get you very far. But, If you have been moved from your old family into the new family, into the kingdom and family of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then you are what we would call a Christian. And the Christian life is a fight against sin. 
That's what Paul is conveying in verses 5 through 11. The Christian life is a fight against sin. We must fight. We have to fight the sin in our bodies, and we have to fight the sin that can attack Christ's body, that can, that can hurt our relationships with others in the church. And so that's, that's where we're going this morning. Notice the first thing that Paul says, right? When I say fight the sin in your body, the first command that Paul gives is he says, put to death, exterminate, execute, kill, cause to cease. Paul is not mincing words about sin, right? This amazing, this preacher of amazing grace to the sinner does not put up with sin. He pulls no punches when it comes to the issue of sin remaining in the believer. And Jesus didn't either. Right? Matthew 5, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better that you go into heaven with one eye rather than with both eyes to go into hell. The New Testament, uh, while it offers grace to the sinner, does not put up with sin. And neither should we. Right, Paul says, when you see your sin, when by God's grace your eyes are open to the way that you sin in yourself, the way that you sin against others, don't coddle it, don't nurture it, kill it, don't put up with it. Uh, some of you may be familiar, I don't know, has anybody ever visited the Everglades in Florida, South Florida? All right, big, beautiful, if a swamp can be beautiful, then this is a big, beautiful swamp, okay? Um, but the Everglades are being overrun by a species of snake known as the Burmese python. You may have heard that in the news, right? The Burmese python is from Burma. It's not from Florida. And so what happens when these snakes get into the swamp is they have no natural predator. They're free to grow and have babies and grow some more and eat and have more babies. And so do you know, do you know how the Burmese python got into the Everglades? People. People who thought that this snake would make a good pet. Right? This snake, by the way, that can grow up to 26 feet long. Okay? Um, people who said, yeah, this would be fun, and they bring the pet home, and they feed it, and they nurture it. And, but you know what happens. Baby snakes turn into big snakes. And then as soon as they start eyeing your dog um, or, or you... Uh, then maybe you decide it's a good time to go dump the snake in the swamp. Right? Why you don't just kill it and bury it in the backyard, I don't know. But um, my point is this. Sin makes a terrible pet. Right? The Burmese python is a terrible pet. Sin is even worse. Right? The more you nurture it, the deadlier it becomes. James... 115 says, sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. There is an eventual pattern to sin, and the longer you hold on to it, the more death it will create. Many of you have, can, can tell that story. When you have held on to sin, you have seen it create death in your life and in your family's life and in the lives of others. So if sin leads to death, if sin creates death, then don't coddle it. Put it to death. Right? And why, why such strong language? Why, does, why do Paul and Jesus use such strong language? Well, because they know me. They know how lazy I can be. They know 
They know how I can make excuses. They know how I can justify my sin and actually kind of call it a good thing sometimes. They know that I don't put up much of a fight if left to myself. And so Paul says, don't put up with it. That's not the behavior of the kingdom. Put it to death. Christians, we don't have a condition that needs managing. We have a cancer. It needs killing. That's what Paul is saying in verse 5. And then he gives this list, right? And this list is common in the New Testament. There are lots of lists like it. They're, they're not meant to be all-inclusive, right? This, this list of five things is not all the sins that you can do. They may have been sins that the Colossians were struggling with, okay? Um, and notice that this list, he's going to give another one in a couple of verses. This list, this, let's try that again. This list deals with, all th- with, with things sexual in nature, okay? And I don't want to be too graphic, but let's just look through them. Sexual immorality, he's referring to all sex outside of marriage. Impurity, right? One, uh, one commentator I read calls that the moral contamination that comes from immoral behavior, right? When we commit immoral behavior, that contaminates us, okay? And notice what Paul's doing. It looks like he's going from the outward sin of the flesh and working his way inward to the heart. So you have sexual morality, impurity, passion, or lust would be a better word, which refers to passion that overtakes and controls you, evil desire, which are the the beginning stages of lust. And at the heart of all of that sits covetousness, greed, right? That insatiable appetite for something that doesn't belong to you. That's where it begins. And basically he says greed is idolatry. Taking something that is not God and giving it all of your worship, devotion, and adoration. So notice that sin has its starting place in the heart, and it begins with idolatry. It begins with greed and then works its way outward. And then he gives some motives for our fight against this. We can put it to death because the wrath of God is coming against sins like this. Now, it's not very politically correct to talk about God's wrath. But Jesus did it, Paul does it, James does it, John does it, Peter does it. Right? Every New Testament author, it seems like, every New Testament author or Jesus himself used wrath as a motivation to flee sin. Not the primary one, but a motivation all the same. God's wrath is coming against sins like these. Why would we participate? Why would we participate in sins that grieve God and cause his wrath to come? Okay? But he also says this. He also says that those, those sins were part of an old life, a former life. He says, in these you too once walked. And by saying that, he's saying, those were part of your former life. Leave them behind. Don't go back to those. And I would say that... I, I don't, I don't want to forget who I was before Jesus saved me. I don't want to dwell on it. I don't want to be unhealthy about it. I don't want to revel in past sin. That's what Paul's telling me not to do. But I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget what Jesus saved me from because it's a great encouragement to me. 
it's a great encouragement to me and it's a great praise to me that I can, that I can sing praises to God for, for the ways in which He has saved me, for how He has ransomed me from death, how He has brought me from a kingdom of destruction, doing things that, that merited His wrath and through no work of my own has made me a son and set me free. I can look back and say those were a former life and I don't want to live there anymore. I don't want to live in sin and shame anymore. That's not true of me. And then he transitions, right? He transitions to give us another command. He says, in these you too once walked, right? Verse 9, excuse me, verse 8, but now you must put them all away. You've got to get rid of them. Notice, notice that, he, that he doesn't say, you have gotten rid of them. You have put them away. Or that they have been put away. He's actually issuing a command. He's saying, some of these things may still be true in you. And you need to work on them. You need to fight them. You need to get rid of them. Throw it out. Right? Just like a lot of food that... Not a lot of food that sits in our fridge. Um, sometimes things get left in the fridge for a really long time. And they need to go, right? <laughs> They're no longer healthy. Paul says, throw it out. Get rid of that sin. Don't, don't let it linger. And then he gives another list, right? He says, a great change in you has occurred. Now get rid of some of these things. Things like anger, this continual seething, smoldering hatred. Get rid of it. Wrath. Maybe a better word for that would be rage, right? This sudden explosion, this quick outburst of anger. Malice. Evil intentions to harm other people. And now notice that Paul is working from the inside out. He begins with anger and wrath and malice. And then he talks about outward behaviors like slander. Some of your translations may say blasphemy. Paul is dealing with the way we attack the character of others. He's saying, that's how you used to act. Don't act that way anymore. Don't slander people. Don't attack other people's character. And then obscene talk, foul speech. And the context really points us to, to foul language that abuses other people. Right? See, Paul is dealing with sins now that aren't sexual in nature, but sins revolving around anger. And anger that can damage our relationships with others and can damage the church. Right, which is why in connection to foul speech, he says, don't lie to each other. Right, those are the ways we can treat other people. And Paul says, get rid of it. N.T. Wright, he's a, a pastor in Great Britain, and he, he makes a good point on this, on this passage. He says, Paul gives two lists so that no Christian community can feel like it's got it all together. Right? Because some, some people, some Christians, will look at that first list, that first list of lewd sexual behavior, and they'll say, oh, I would never do that. That's not me. But their church is eaten up with backbiting, gossip, malice, slander. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there are some Christians who might look at that second list and be like, I could never be that condemning or angry. But because they're afraid to confront people, they allow all kinds of sexual immorality in their own lives and in the church. And Paul's point is, neither one of them is acceptable. Now, it also helps that, we make the, that I make the point 
Right? When I say they're not acceptable and Paul says they're not acceptable, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that obedience means perfection. I'm not saying that that holiness for the Christian in this life means perfection. But I am saying what Paul is saying is that there is work we've got to do. Right? There's a we've got a long way to go yet to reach the end. Some of us longer than others. And there's still sin that we need to deal with. And we can deal with it by God's grace. Because we've been given a new life, we can actually fight our sin. We were talking about identity this morning in Sunday school. And if you, if you have the old identity where you live under this, this covenant of works where you think, if I can keep the law, God will be pleased with me. Then the law to you is a burden. The law to you is crushing. And you will not succeed. However, if you have a new identity, if you live under the covenant of grace, then the law becomes to you a weapon. No longer does it condemn you because Jesus, because Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right Now, you can use the law to fight your own sin. That's the hope that we have, and that's what Paul is calling us to. His point is that neither lifestyle should describe the life of the Christian. We don't need to be sexually immoral people, and we don't need to be angry people. Why? Because we've changed clothes. That's the image Paul uses in verses 9 and 10. Just like changing out of filthy, worn-out, old clothes, we have put off the old self, the old nature. Right? I had a friend who interned for Brassfield and Gorey in high school. That's a construction company. And when he would come home from working that day, he got to the point where he would just throw his clothes away because they smelled so awful. Right? Like they would, if he, if he washed those clothes with any of his other laundry, the rest of his laundry smelled like his work clothes. Okay? That's how nasty they were. Now, he might have had an odor problem, but... Right? That's an issue, right? He, wor- he, he worked his way up to where he was in the office of Brassfield and, Glo- of Glo- Brassfield and Glory. Imagine if he came to his work in the office wearing his old construction clothes. They wouldn't fit. That's not, that, that's not what they wear in the office. That's what they wear in the field. The same is true here. We don't, we don't wear those clothes anymore. We've put those off. They're out of style and they're not coming back. So we can't live like that anymore. We've put on a new self, a new nature, one that's being renewed in true knowledge, real knowledge, renewed in the image of our Creator and our Savior. What Paul is saying is that we are actually being made into who we were meant to be when God first made Adam and Eve in holiness and righteousness and goodness. It's who we were intended to be. But that we lost that. Adam lost that, and by virtue we lost it. That's the old na- that's the old man, the old nature now. Paul says we've been given a new one in Christ, a new nature. And we can live in that. We are being constantly renewed. It's not an overnight process. I wish it was, but it's a process. And it's happening. 
And one more way that he points out that, that this humanity is different is he says, here, in this new nature, in this new self, there is not Greek and Jew. There's not barbarian, excuse me, there's not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. What he's doing is he's, he's breaking down all of the religious, all of the racial, all of the cultural, and all of the social, social boundaries. Those, those things that matter so much in the old world will not matter at all in the new. That doesn't mean distinctions are gone. Greeks would still be Greeks and Jews would still be Jews. Slaves would more than likely still be slaves. Okay? But before Christ, before the unifying king of his people, those boundaries don't matter. And they shouldn't matter to us. We shouldn't continue to build up. Jake will preach on Ephesians, the second half of Ephesians 2, um, very soon. Right? And those boundaries that Jesus Christ has broken down in his flesh, we no longer need to build up. We don't need to rebuild the walls that separate us. They're broken down. Because we are a new nature. We are a new humanity. And that's the motivation that Paul gives us for pursuing a life, for, living, for leaving behind an old sinful life and pursuing a new one. That's what it means to seek the things above and not the things on earth. You remember a few years ago, gosh, it's probably been 10 years ago or more now when the extreme makeover craze hit, right? Everybody loved watching extreme makeover, and then you had extreme makeover home edition, and then you had the biggest loser, right? We love those shows. As a culture, as people, we, we love the idea of, right, the ugly duckling being made into the, the beautiful swan. We love the rags to riches toy. We love, we love that kind of transformation. And I think the reason that we do is because we feel in ourselves that something is wrong, that something is broken. We want to be transformed. We want to be fixed. We want to be made right. And what I would say to the Christian is that work's already beginning. You are being renewed. You are being made in the remade in the image of God. So cooperate with that work. Cooperate with the grace that's at work in you. Right? Look at your life, Christian. Look at evaluate especially by those lists that Paul gives. Do you see yourself anywhere in there? I do. Right? What Paul is telling me to do is that when, when I lose it, when my, when my rage breaks out against my son because he has gotten on my last nerve and I'm going to go jerk him up by his arm, what Paul is telling me to do is to say, that's not you anymore. Stop it. That's what you would have done, but not anymore. Put that behavior away. Those are the old clothes. You've put on the new. That's how we deal with sin. Right? So for, for some of you, as you evaluate the sin in your life, 
You may need accountability. You may need help to keep sinful patterns in check. You may need a a brother or a sister to come alongside you and ask you hard questions and hold you accountable to grace. You may need counseling, right? You may need to, to sit down with somebody and, and walk through some of these old issues, sins that have plagued you for a long time. Somebody, somebody wiser, somebody who can, who can help you apply the gospel in areas where you are struggling. Some of you need to take drastic measures and avoid the cause of your sin. If it's, if it's cutting the internet off at your house, if it's when you're going on business trips, not staying in a hotel room by yourself, whatever it may be, you may need to take drastic measures to remove temptations to sin from you. But remember, and for sure all of us, all of us need each other. All of us need the community that God in Christ has created. We are meant to be a hospital for sinners. And we are meant to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We are meant to encourage holiness in each other. But whatever the steps you may need to take are, remember that you are to cooperate with the grace at work. There are sins that grieve the Holy Spirit. There are sins. Your union with Christ is not in jeopardy, but your communion, right? That sense of relationship may be. We are to cooperate with the grace at, grace at work in us, not frustrate it. For those who would not identify themselves as Christians, I already said that these things apply to those in the family. That doing this list will not earn you heaven, will not earn you security with God or a relationship with the Father. You can't earn those things, but they can be given to you. They are a grace. Do you want that grace at work in your life? Do you want to be set free? Do you want to be able to say, looking backwards, I've put off the old man. I've put off the old nature. I don't have to be enslaved to that anymore. I've put on the new nature. And come to Jesus. Receive Christ, rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the gospel. Let me pray. God, we would ask that You would help us to fight the good fight of faith. Lord, for, for those... Well, Lord, we're all struggling. And so I would pray for... Those of us, for my brothers and sisters who are fighting sin, God, give us the strength, the patience, the endurance, the grace to help us fight harder. Lord, to trust you, to rest in your goodness, to rest in the fact that you are not, you are not going to cast us out of the family for our sin. You have already redeemed us and you are remaking us in your image God, help us to cooperate with your grace. And in areas where we frustrate it, Lord, give us repentant hearts. Hearts that know that can come boldly before the throne of grace and beg for more grace. 
Father, would you work that in us just as we have sung and as we are about to sing. Out of our bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, we come. As we come, Lord, renew us, strengthen us for your glory, for our good, our holiness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.